Hey everyone, welcome to the Midtown Podcast. I'm your host, Jake, and with me is, once again, our pastor from Midtown Lexington, Michael Bailey. Hey, Bailey. Hey, what's up? How we doing? I'm doing great, man. It's good to be here. A quick twist. Uh, We had planned that we were going to spend this episode talking about the Torah, but then as we were talking about it this morning, we thought we got to zoom out a little further and just talk about the Old Testament. So week one... We were talking about your biblical literacy. Yeah. Then we were talking about the Bible, and so we're slowly zooming in, and we're just going to talk about the Old Testament today. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's important to keep in mind, like for those of you who are listening, you know, it's what we're trying to do with these podcasts is we're just trying to help us have some background information to like be able to read and understand the scriptures better. We're not going to be able to cover all that kind of stuff on a Certainly Sunday morning, not. you know, and that's not even necessarily the goal of Sunday mornings. So we feel like, you know, this podcast, you know, coming at you midweek, uh, it's just going to be a helpful, a helpful resource to kind of enhance and enliven the reading that you're doing um, individually and with your groups. Yeah. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about the Old Testament today. So let's go. Please don't check out. Please don't just it's skip because this is really good. We're going to tell you why it's really good. Jake and I are unashamed lovers of the Old Testament. I'm not going to lie. Big fans. Big fans. <laughs> I think a big question for any reader of the Bible, especially those of us who are Christians, is, okay, the Old Testament. Why does it even matter? Like, that's old stuff, right? Like, what... Why should we even bother reading this? Like that's that's uh, old God. We got New Testament. We got Jesus. This is this is what we need to be focusing the primary amount of our attention on. I would even say that I I would be willing to bet, and I could be wrong, but I'll be willing to bet that when most of us sit down to read the Bible, most of us probably naturally drift towards the New Testament as opposed to the old. And so I think it's important that we answer this question. Okay, the Old Testament. What? Why does it even matter for us? One thing that I heard from a professor that we're actually going to interview in a couple of weeks, and what he said was the Old Testament is Jesus's Bible. Yeah. Think about, as we talk about formation and we talk about we want to be more like Jesus, mm-hmm. the Old Testament was his Bible. That was the main text he yeah. was reading. And so there is something, too, if we want to be more like Jesus, I want to read like Jesus. I want to read what he read. Absolutely. And the main book that he read was the Old Testament. He doesn't throw it away. He embraces it. Yeah. All of his teachings are saturated with Old Testament themes and illusions. And I believe we talked about this last week, but in Matthew 5, he says, I came not to abolish the yeah. law. I came to fulfill the law. That's and right. So what does that mean? So he doesn't say, Old Testament, you just take it, throw it away. It doesn't matter. I'm mm-hmm. starting a brand new thing. He says, I've come to fulfill it, which yeah. means... If you really understand all of the Old Testament, not only its main ideas, but even if you press down further into all the details and the nitty gritty, all of it, I am I am the Old Testament personified. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he says, I mean, I think he says that explicitly in John uh, and definitely on the road to Emmaus with the disciples where what he's doing is he's like, hey, guys, I'm trying to show you all of this stuff that you have read for all of your history. This is about me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is leading and pointing you to me. And, and you're right. Like, I mean, it is, he did approach it authoritatively. He, he viewed it and taught it and proclaimed it as God's word and then pointed everyone to like, hey, but I'm, I'm the embodiment of this. I am the fulfillment of this. And so absolutely uh, it matters. I'm with that. And for what it's worth, the label, the categorization of Old Testament, New Testament is not a categorization that... The biblical authors put in. They didn't right. put that page 
in our bios. That's right. That's a us thing. That's yeah. an us thing. <laughs> and I've heard of seminary professors, scholars, thinkers, thinkers saying, uh, perhaps you need to change the language a little bit mm-hmm. to just help us see that this is telling one story. It's not here's plan A and the New Testament is yeah. plan B. That's good. And they language it. Maybe we should talk about it as the first testament. Yeah. And the New Testament as the Second Testament yeah. to help us see the continuity, or to call the Old Testament the Elder Testament, yeah. almost like the Big Brother. Yeah. And then the New Testament comes along, and I, I've heard even one professor who I like her a lot, but she even makes that point, like you know, the page, the New Testament in your Bible doesn't exist, and we need to see it as one story. And so she said, so I have my Bible right here, and I want you to hear what I'm going to do. And she ripped that page out of her Bible, and like shockwave. <laughs> Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to do that, uh, but I hear your point. I'm not going to recommend you tear pages out of Thank your you for Bible. this delightful object lesson. Like. But I think she makes a good point of we need to see this as one seamless yeah. story with the Old Testament laying down the framework so that yeah. the New Testament comes and fills that's in That's great. Gaps. I mean, and that's exactly how the writers of the New Testament treated it too. Like they, they use the Old Testament as a way of validating and exposing the truth of who, who Jesus is. They are constantly referencing uh, to it and teaching from it. Uh, one of my favorite insights about this is, uh, so a passage that we like to teach from a lot, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, mm-hmm. All scripture is God breathed, you know, and useful for teaching and training, rebuking uh, and equipping, you know, in, in right. righteousness. Uh, it's really interesting to me to think about that passage or to p- think about that verse as Paul is writing it, because what what is Paul talking about when he says all scripture is God breathed? What is he what is he bringing up there? Is he is he talking about the letter that he's writing? Well, I. I, I would say yes, but he doesn't think think that. Uh, is he talking about like the oral traditions, you know, passed down about Jesus, you know, before the Gospels got got written down? Nah, uh, not quite, because that word scripture means, it's graphe, and it means writing. He's talking about writings. So what writings could he have been talking about? Mm-hmm. It would have to be the Old Testament. So what, what he's actually teaching us there is that the Old Testament, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, are what is useful for us to teach us doctrine and training in righteousness to equip us and prepare us to, to know God and follow God. And so uh, I, I love just kind of drawing that point out and saying like, so listen, when it, when it comes to even how we develop doctrine and practice, the Old Testament is actually still incredibly useful and helpful to us in that regard. We can learn what we need to know about the doctrine of salvation, for instance, from the Old Testament. We can learn what we need to know about eschatology or the doctrine of the end times mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. We can learn the character of God from the Old Testament. We can learn what God wants for us in his world from the Old Testament. It's it's not a section of scripture to be to be thrown away in uh, in favor of the new, but rather one to continue to glean from and help us as Christians uh, understand who our God is and what he has and, and wants for us in the here and now. So lo- love the Old Testament. Even for the early church, they are preaching out of the Old Testament. You read the book of Acts, they are pulling from the Old Testament so that even as New Testament documents are being written, they still had the Old Testament as their base work, yeah. the framework text that they would teach out of. And then they would say, and I have great news for you. All this stuff is now coming to fruition Absolutely. through the person of Jesus who just resurrected last year. Yeah. All right. 
so that's that's the big why is that it matters to Jesus, it matters to the early church, and it matters for us if we want to understand what the person of, of Jesus, mm-hmm. who he is, what he's doing through us in us. Let's talk about the what behind it. Okay. So go. Let's go ahead and just start unpacking what the Old Testament is about. So the Old Testament. First what? Testament, Elder Testament, Elder Testament, however you want to, phrase however it. you want to say it. What is it? <laughs> like what? What is this section of scripture? Really simply, I mean, it is a collection of writings spanning roughly a thousand plus years, depending on you know what you do with with Genesis. Uh, but and it's written by a lot of different people. Sometimes these people are named. Sometimes they're not named. Sometimes these works are a collaboration of, of multiple authors, all sort of deriving from the ancient Near East, namely a place that, uh, I guess, geographers or scholars whatever call the, the Levant, which is just the part of the world where Europe, Asia, and Africa meet, uh, where we would think of as modern-day Israel and Iran and Syria and places, places like this, Egypt, uh, uh, of course. Uh, and it's full of all different kinds of literature. Like, it's a, it's a pretty complex section of scripture. There are historical and theological narratives within it. There are legal codes and prophecy, uh, kingly court documents, uh, apocalyptic literature for good measure, uh, poetry, wisdom. I mean, just a wildly diverse array of writings that were collected by the Jewish people over several thousand years to basically uh, inform them and generations after them of their story, of God's dealing with them, of the promises that he made to them, uh, and the future that he had for them and the world as well. Uh, traditionally, and you'll be able to speak to this really well, uh, but traditionally it's broken up into three primary sections. Uh, there's the Torah, or, or what we would call instruction, and that's Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, the Navim, and don't let me say that wrong. Is that how, you, how I say the it? Navim. That's Navim, right. there we go. Yeah. Uh, or what we might call the prophets, okay? And that's the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and the major and minors. So, you know, so Isaiah, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then the, the 12 minors. Um, uh, and then the Ketavim, which are the writings. And this is sort of like a, a, a grab bag for the, the rest of the, the Old Testament. So these are books like Ruth uh, and Chronicles and Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra Esther, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, uh, and Job. Now, the Christian order bit different than the Hebrew order. So the Hebrew put, puts it in that order, and they, we kind of call it the Tanakh, right? Like the Torah, Navim, and Ketuvim. Uh, and that's how Jews would typically re- relate to that, that portion of the canon. Right. But the Christian order tends to be a little bit different. Do you want to talk about that? We're getting a little in the weeds, and this might break our brains a little bit, but this is, this is good stuff. What makes it fun is the Christian ordering of the Old Testament is different from the traditional Jewish ordering of the Old Testament. Christian order is arranged more by chronology and genre. Mm-hmm. Hebrew order of the Bible feels more scattershot. Now, so in the Christian order, you have the book of Ruth, for example, fitting more in this chronological format. Yeah. So it's happening right after Judges because the book of Ruth opens. This took place in the time of the Judges. Yeah. So the Christian order says, oh, well, chron- chronologically speaking, that should go over here. And then you have... Samuel, King's Chronicles, in the Christian order, all grouped together because they're all kind of sharing the same story. Mm -hmm. But in the Hebrew order, Chronicles is at the very end. Right. And 
like I said, I think part of the reason why the Christian order is different is to emphasize genre. But the thing is, the original order wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. The original order is a little more, at first glance, feel scattershot. Sure. But the more you dive into the logic behind the traditional order, the mm-hmm. more you see that there's a little bit more going yeah. on t- with it. Before we start picking that apart, where did the Christian order come from? Mm. And I think maybe Christian order is a bit of a misnomer. So sure. the that ordering came from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that came out around 100, 200 BC, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Jews are living in exile. The nation that was dominating them wanted a translation in their own language of the Old Testament. So they gathered Jewish scribes together who were bilingual to then take the Old Testament, translate it into Greek. That's where we get the Septuagint. Mm -hmm. Septuagint means 70 because as legend goes, 70 Jewish scribes gathered together they came out and they all translated perfectly the exact same thing. Like they all came oh, out with wow. the same results. Wow, that's cool. This Greek Old Testament is becomes like the dominant way people read the Old Testament for the next few hundred years. Mm. So in the time of the New Testament, New Testament authors are using the Septuagint as the primary book to reference and talk right. about the Old Testament. Yeah. And then when we get further down the road, talking about Bible translation, it then gets translated into Latin, but the Latin is using the Septuagint. And that becomes sort of the locked-in mode of how we understand the Old Testament as Christians. Yeah. Now, the Jews later come back and say, no, 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 that's a Greek translation, and actually here is the original Hebrew text, and this is the order we've always held to. That being said, Christian versus Hebrew is a little different. Right. Uh, you might say, and it's really, really what we're saying when we say Christian order is we're just talking about this is what came from the Greek. You know, this is the Septuagint. It kind of like uh, won the day, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so, like, we've kind of kept it in in this order too. But there are really like two primary translations of the Old Testament that we have. They're the Septuagint, like we've already talked about, and the Masoretic texts uh, that we. Uh, had, had been in existence for a while, and we discovered even more, correct me, uh, or co- confirmation of them with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like, this is right. a big deal behind the Dead Sea Scrolls. Is like when, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was like confirmation on, like, oh, this is this really is what these books say. Uh, and what's great about having both of those is that we're able to kind of interpretively, like, bounce them off of each other to see, like, how are we meant to understand the message of these books. Like, what do they really, really say? Having the Greek and the Hebrew is really helpful for us to actually get down into, oh, yeah, this is actually what they're saying. This is what was being communicated. Therefore, this is what what this means. Yeah, so I hope that doesn't worry us because, honestly, if you were to put a Venn diagram over the Masoretic text, which was in Hebrew, the Dead Sea Scrolls in Hebrew, Septuagint in Greek, if you had yeah. to overlap that, I'd say like 99.8%. Yeah all sort of saying the exact same thing, which for me, it just further reinforces the That's credibility right. of the. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I a hundred percent agree. It's there. There's that common retort from, you know, skeptics or critics of the Bible of just like, Oh, well, I mean, there are these, it's written in different languages and they don't not always match up or whatever. And there's the Greek or the Hebrew, which one should you use? Whatever. It's like that. That's actually not an argument against the authority of the Bible and the reliability of the Bible. It's actually an argument for, because we're able to look at all of these manuscripts that we have, and we're able to really, within a high degree of certainty, confirm 
this is what it says. Mm -hmm. This is what it means. You can trust it. You know, it shouldn't worry us at all. It should actually encourage us and give us confidence uh, in what we are reading and preaching. And for what it's worth, most Bible translations aren't trying to pull the wool over your eyes. If you want to read the preface of major Bible translations, they will tell you all the manuscripts they're pulling from, why they chose the word choice they did. And I would say 95% of Bible translations will even have footnotes at the bottom to say, here's a discrepancy between the Masoretic versus the Septuagint. And you look at it and it's like a pronoun. Yeah. Do they mean it or he? Yeah. And it's like, I think people tell you this wild idea as though it's some big conspiracy theory with Bible translations. It's like, it's no really one, not. No one's really doing that, man. No one's trying to hide anything yeah. at all. Because th- thinking about God's word as a lion, you know, it's like, you just let it out of the cage, right? Yeah. Like, it's going to defend itself. You don't have to worry about, you know, any of that other stuff. And that's really, I really do find that to be an accurate depiction of God's word. It's like, we have nothing to fear or hide. It's reliable. And it's been proven to be reliable, and it will continue to prove to be reliable. Nobody, there's no need to pull the wool over anybody's eyes in this regard. Like we, we have good, we we have on good authority that the Old Testament is what it needs to be for us. Now that being said, Hebrew versus Christian order. I hope people aren't panicking as though it's like you mean to tell me I've been reading the Bible in the wrong way <laughs> this whole time. I think there is merit to the Christian order because. That was the order that New Testament authors were yeah, using. Both are so, good. Yeah. It's like it's like that meme of the little girl, you know, she goes, Why not both? Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> like it's great. Like there yeah. there are benefits to reading it in both orders, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's good to do. I mean, in, in the same regard of like, you know, when you pick up a Bible reading plan. Uh, yeah. Some Bible reading plans go through it chronologically, so they're jumping all the way around because there's merit and to it's reading helpful. it. Yeah, chronologically. Uh, other Bible, other Bible reading plans are going to like, all right, we're going to do some Old Testament and some New Testament simultaneously because there's merit to reading it in that order. In the same way, there's merit to reading it in the order that is in the Bible, like the canonical order you have in your Bible, as it is in English right now. And there's merit to reading it uh, in the order of the Tanakh. You had to twist my arm, and maybe it's because I'm I like the Old Testament a lot. I prefer reading the Hebrew order, but that's just me. You're just an Old Testament guy. But that's my preference, and I could make an (laughs) argument for the canon, the order of the Hebrew, the original, was meant to be that way, and that we can glean more from the Old Testament when we view it through that. But at the end of the day, like we said, if you want to prefer the Christian order, if that just, just seems too weird to read it in a different order, I totally get it. I'm a big fan of you read the Bible. At all. I was about to say, so the most important thing we about all the Bible here. is that it's red. You uh, know, <laughs> like that's that's the most important thing. The order, it's like we can get down into that. And, you know, there's some fun things to talk about here and there. But the most important thing is that the Bible is red in whatever order it may be red. But I actually think that highlights something that it's important to bring up with the Old Testament. It's the question, uh, what makes reading the Old Testament so difficult? Because I said this before. One of the things we just highlighted, you know, is like, okay, so the Christian order and the English order is a little bit different than the Hebrew order. And that for me highlights a, a bigger thing with the Old Testament that these are Eastern, specifically Jewish and Hebrew writings. And that is just a vastly different world than our 21st century Western American world. That, that makes reading the Old Testament kind of hard sometimes, right? Like speak to that a little bit for us. Yeah. So you got to think through, like you said earlier, the geography of 
the books of the Old Testament have a purpose. And it's not just so that you can look at a globe and say, well, it took place there. Right. Certainly, but there's more to it. So the way that the ancient Near East viewed the world, viewed time, viewed how to think of astronomy, how to think through history and the retelling of events is a different way of thinking Mm -hmm. than 2,000 years removed who are very secularized, modernized, Mm -hmm. super westernized. And so part of learning to read the Old Testament on its own terms is to acknowledge the fact that like we have a very Western way of Absolutely. reading the Bible. Absolutely. And I might even argue the Christian order of the Old Testament just so further emphasizes a Western way of reading sure. with its emphasis on chronology and time. Yeah. Whereas the Eastern way of thinking is how the Bible came about in sure. its in its surrounding world. Uh, and that's just, it's different. So not Absolutely. only do you have like different thought patterns, but you have different languages, different cultures. And so we have to like do some groundwork and understand what's going on in this world and place and time before we necessarily start reading the text and bring Absolutely. our presuppositions. The way I heard it taught by Tim Mackey at Bible Project is like, if I were to travel to any other country, they're going to speak a different language. They're going to have different customs. And it would be really messed up on my part if I say, why are y'all speaking that language? You also should speak my language. Mm. Why are you doing that custom? Mm -hmm. You should do it to my customs. You should make things. And I start colonializing whatever country I'm in. And the, what we need to be on guard for as Bible readers is not to import our Western mode of thinking onto an Eastern text. Absolutely. That, I think, presents the unique challenge for us, right? You know, as readers of the Old Testament and the here and now is we have to do the hard work of trying to discern the gap between the world of the author and our own uh, so that we understand how to faithfully not just understand these passages, but faithfully apply them into our, our own context. Simple illustrations of the type of thing that I, that I mean is, so I'm, I'm getting ready to prepare a sermon on uh, Esau and what is going on in the story of Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And it very much so hinges on this notion of the birthright, okay? Uh, and we've talked about the birthright before, like, so hopefully what this does won't, that even mean? Yeah, hopefully this won't be new information for anybody. But as Westerners, we don't, really have a conception of a birthright in like in our families. Like I don't go and talk to my dad about like what my birthright is as the firstborn son. Like that would just feel so otherworldly. But, but in the for East, the, yeah, in the East common. and specifically for the world of the ancient Near East, this is a very common notion that everybody would have understand. So when Esau rejects it or when he despises it, Everybody who's hearing this story is hearing the weight that comes with him rejecting this notion, his mistreatment of it. But as, as an uninformed Western reader, if I, don't, if I don't understand at least some of that notion of birthright, I'm going to miss the greater implications uh, of what's actually happening in this text. And so the challenge, all I have to say, the challenge before us reading the Old Testament is to do that hard work, to seek to bridge the gap as best we can between the world of the author uh, and our own. Uh, Because when we do, that's when we really get to drink deeply from the Old Testament, when we get Mm -hmm. to see it for all it's worth. Um, I heard 
one speaker would highly recommend his book. We'll put that in the show notes called Asking Better Questions of the Bible by Marty Solomon. Nice. He really highlights, here's the Eastern way of thinking about the Bible in its original context. Mm. And the way he talks about it is when we come to questions in the Bible, whether it's a text that doesn't make sense or we don't know how to wrestle with this idea or concept it brings forth, that in the Western mind, because we very much want answers neatly packaged to our questions and when we come to questions in a text we get really frustrated and it's like just give me the answers Mm. but in the eastern way of thinking about it is whenever you encounter a supposed tension within the text that there's excitement because it's like oh i'm about to uncover something within the text and i can't wait to just sit with it for a while and saturate myself on it and that's fun <clears throat> that's that's a fun little perspective, and yeah. that's a great encouragement to exactly how we we should approach it. In my opinion, because uh, uh, I would hate for us to sort of paint the picture that well, yes, it is foreign. So yeah, you probably you probably shouldn't read it because you won't be able to understand it. I don't I don't think that's the case. I think God has given us what we need to to understand it. And in my experience, to neglect the Old Testament because it feels so foreign uh, would be a travesty because we miss out on so much when we don't read it we miss out on god think on themes like god's sovereignty on his providential care for his people we miss out on his desires and his uh faithfulness and steadfast love and namely his grace and plan from the beginning to redeem the world and rescue a people for himself we miss out on all these important aspects of of who God is and what He has for us by by saying, okay, hey, you know what? It uh, just it's just gonna feel like a little a little too much. And in my experience, at least, and I think I said this um, in one of the previous episodes, you know, the way that we grow in our understanding of the Old Testament is to read and reread, to read and reread, to just saturate ourselves in the text, learning its contours, learning its turn, turns of phrases, learning the, the grand story of what's going on. It's then that we begin to really um, grasp what's happening. Um, and I, I can tell, from, tell you from my personal experience, for me, the more I have come to saturate myself in the Old Testament, not only have I grown in my appreciation for it, but man, I have grown more and more in my awe of God. Mm-hmm. Like he, he really does display himself in some marvelous and majestic ways throughout the, throughout the OT uh, that I would just hate for any of us to miss out on because it feels too daunting. And I would say with that, the Bible is not trying to impart to us information. There's certainly information in there, but it's trying to transform us. Absolutely. And I see that clearly in the New Testament, like, we see a lot of that mm-hmm. happening, but to understand the Old Testament is also a formational document. It's yep. trying to shape a people to follow God. Yep. And we'll get more into it when we go to the next episode, the Torah, yep. because that's going to be very really, explicit. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Uh, the way I think about sitting with the Old Testament, and again, I'm dipping more into like my movie nerd self. Imagine a movie that you love but watching it on a VHS tape in black and white uh, on the tiniest screen. It's like you're still going to see the story, understand the story, but if you were to watch that same story on a high-definition TV in surround sound in color or at the movie theater, it's going to still see the same story, but, man, you're going to experience it so much fully. You're going to enjoy it more, and I think about – 
this is why we understand the Old Testament, so mm-hmm. that when we do see the person of Jesus, like, man, the image is sharper, it's more crisp, it becomes more alive to us, we can feel the text more, mm. because we've sat with and understood the Old Testament. So that's a bit of the what is the Old Testament. If you have questions about that, if you want to ask questions about the Christian versus the Hebrew order, certainly text us Mm -hmm. that and we can dive more into that. That's very fun. But let's get into, to wrap up, how do I start? Because again, I just want to make this as easy and as as accessible as possible. Mm Mm-hmm even though the Bible is very complex. Absolutely. So where do we begin? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, so one thing I want to say up here, and this, uh, for what it's worth, you know, leaning a bit into the um, the Western order or the Christian order, however you want to talk about it, um, I think it's important to note that the Old Testament does, in fact, tell us a story. You know, like it is covering uh, a, a span of time, but a span of time uh, particularly looking at the story of the nation of Israel. And so it begins with human origins and the chief problem in the world. You know, these these are the opening chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through basically 11. And that's sort of the preamble for the origins of God's people or what God's going to do to redeem his world, which is which becomes the story of Israel, uh, beginning in Genesis 12 and flowing through the end of the Pentateuch. Uh, and then it covers all the national history all the way up for the next, you know, several hundred years uh, until the eventual exile uh, to uh, Assyria for the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, and then the eventual exile into Babylon for the southern kingdom of Judah and the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem, uh, all the way to the people's return under another empire, the Persian Empire. So it's it's covering that, that massive amount of time. And so the place that I say all of that to say, the place that I would begin would be the beginning. <laughs> I would I would start uh, at the beginning. I would start with Genesis one through three and Genesis one through eleven, getting a sense of uh, the the preamble or the prologue, if you will, to the human condition, to the story of Israel, the problem that God uh, is seeking to to solve with His people. And then I would jump in with the Torah, which is exactly what we are going to do, or exactly correct correction, what we are doing with this series and ghosts and ancestors. Yeah. I almost think of it like a Russian doll situation where it's oh. like, start with this and then undo it. And then you have something else, undo it, start with something else. Thinking through those steps, Genesis one through three, that's like the first little nest Russian doll. Yeah. Then after that, Genesis one through 11. Then after that, Torah. Then after that, reading canonically through the Hebrew order of the Old Testament. Because what you will find with each of those steps is they all sort of end the same way, Mm. almost as though (laughs) this is a very complex piece of literature with a lot of intentionality behind it. I read a book recently that made the argument, and I'm very convinced of it, that Genesis 1 through 3 is a micro story of the entire Old Testament. Sure. So it begins with God creating a people for himself, God creating a land for the people to dwell in, but then sin and idolatry get in the way, and as a result, they are exiled. Yeah. And what are they going to do with that? Yeah. That's basically the Old Testament story in a nutshell. Absolutely. But you then take Genesis 1 through 3 and those themes— 
splay that out a little bit to Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 11 ends with the Tower of Babel, and it yep. ends with them, once again, scattered, exiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about how Babel and Babylon mm-hmm. are sound very similar, and that's where the end of the Old Testament canonically ends, is in Babylon Yeah, for a reason. Then you get the Torah, so that's step three, and once again, they're not yet in the land. God has promised. God has raised up a people for himself to dwell in the land, but they're not there yet because sin and idolatry have gotten in the way. Yep. And then canonically, it ends with Chronicles, Second Chronicles 36, and once again, God's people not yet in the land. What yep. do you do with that? What are you going to do? And that's just like a piece mm-hmm. of just all of these patterns and themes that yeah. are recurring over and over because the Old Testament is trying to press upon us. God loves us. He wants us to be a people for himself, to follow him. But sin and idolatry are going to get in the way. And what do we do with that as God's people? So hopefully, for those of you who are listening, hopefully, uh, if you haven't already started to jump in and read the scriptures with us uh, this year. Uh, hopefully this will give you a little bit of a, um, a motivation to do so. Hop in, Certainly. let's go. You know, start with Genesis 1 and let's rock through the Torah. That's where we are in our current phase of the year of biblical literacy. We're looking forward to, to getting down further into the Old Testament because we're going to be in it for a while yeah. this year. I mean, for, for most of the year. And so I'm excited to get to talk in more depth about the specific sections of it and genres and all that in the coming weeks and months. I think it's going to be fun. That's right. So if you have questions, send them our way. Resources are in the show notes. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. Peace.